Father and our God, indeed, we understand that it is the name of Jesus Christ before whom every knee must bow, whether in heaven or on earth, if there is ever the expectation of life eternal. So many of us in this room came to that understanding long ago that it was only in relationship with Jesus Christ that there was any hope of life after death. And yet, Father, having learned, having stepped inside the kingdom, there are so many times, as Jimmy has said, that we must return to that name, that we must go back to the place where we remember that the one to whom we've committed ourselves is, is not a religious figure, he is not a hero, but that he is God incarnate. That God in his abundant mercy saw fit to leave his home in glory, take on a body, become a man who, who you named Jesus. And it is to him that we have committed all that we are, all that we hope to be. And our Father, life can be counted on to give us as much pain as we can possibly bear. And so we keep going back to the fair name of Jesus Christ and ask that you will give us the stamina to remain faithful, to live consistently in spite of all that we're facing. Our Father, um, in that regard, we would pray for the Tilson family and continue to ask for your mercies and grace as they adjust to the loss of a mother and a wife and a grandmother and a friend. And I pray, Lord, that the comforts of your word might be theirs. For Carol Ostell, who is about to leave us, and headed for some real rigorous days. And I pray, O oh God, that you will equip the whole family as they endure these next hundred days. And then to have her back among us as soon as possible, O oh God. Make things to go smoothly. Might all fall in place with the greatest amount of ease. And O oh God, we as an entire congregation will rejoice and give you every smidgen of credit and praise. Our Father, for others who come here today who have seen uh, that their families were not as tightly knit as they had hoped over these Thanksgiving holidays, I pray, Lord, that you'll give them courage to do what is right. For so many others who have enjoyed the great um, depth of family life, and the enjoyment that brings, I pray, Lord, that you will remind them that every good and perfect gift comes from our Father above, even that one, that what we're enjoying is something that you have graced us with, that all that we have is the result of your gift. And now, Father, we come to a portion of this worship service in which we get a chance to make a statement, to give expression to love and commitment and trust 
we give away this money because we believe that we're better off in your hands than we are in some financial planners. We believe that we're better off trusting you than in trusting our own financial genius. We also believe that one expression of gratitude can be, can be viewed in the way that we give. Oh God, how grateful we are as a people. We glory in what you've done for us. Accept our gifts as but tokens of how deeply grateful we are. We make our prayer, of course, in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You have just heard the parable of the Pharisee and the publican sung. That is a passage found, of course, in Luke 18, verses 9 and following. Having heard that, I've decided to sing my parable. <laughs> so if you'll turn with me to Luke 15... I will now sing. <laughs> Thank you, Louis Odie. That is B.J. Odie's father. And for those of you who don't know B.J., B.J. opened the service in prayer and is our director of the, the male counterpart and the director of our high school ministry. So that was father and son up here this morning. Follow now as I read from Luke 15, beginning... At, um, well, let's, let's, let's not read the whole parable this morning. Let's start at verse 25 as we continue our concentration on the elder brother. Follow now as I read. Now his older son was in the field, and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come, and because he has received him safe and sound, your father has killed the fatted calf. But he was angry and would not go in. Therefore his father came out and pleaded with him. So he answered and said to his father, Lo, these many years I have been serving you. I never transgressed your commandment at any time. And yet you never gave me a young goat that I might make merry with my friends. But as soon as this son of yours came, who has devoured your livelihood with harlots, you killed a fatted calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that I have is yours. It was right that we should make merry and be glad. For your brother was dead and is alive again and was lost and is found. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God, it endures forever. You may be a bit surprised and, and maybe even annoyed that we're not yet uh, finished with our uh, treatment of the prodigal son, in particular emphasis on the elder brother. Uh, the bad news I have for you is uh, we have one more week, <laughs> one more Sunday, and then we'll, uh, we'll move away from uh, that portion of the parable. Um, the reason that I have sought to take so much time in uh, analyzing this elder brother 
is because of something I said a couple of weeks ago. You, you may recall, I hope, that I quoted a friend of mine who pastors in Manhattan. And uh, he made the observation that the church in New York City is, is frequented by those who could be considered prodigal sons. Their brand of, uh, of rebellion can be seen in that prodigal living kind of thing. But he went on to say that it was his opinion that the church in the South is frequented not so much by the prodigal son type as it is by the elder brother type. And I said then that I agreed with this observation, and, and if it's a true observation, ladies and gentlemen, and if the church in the South, of which we are a part, is indeed frequented more so by elder brothers than by prodigal sons, then we better understand everything that we possibly can about the elder brother. And I say to you, my brother and sister in Christ, if you will listen very closely this morning, you may discover some elder brother tendencies that you never knew were there. In the elder brother phase of the parable of the prodigal son, we find the father for the second time in the same day, we, we find the father offering a costly, self-effacing demonstration of undeserved, even unexpected love. Only this time, the difference is the object of his love is a law keeper as opposed to a lawbreaker. We see him once again in, in, in a painful display of public humiliation, going out for yet one more time to embrace something that was lost. A lost sheep, a lost coin, and now two lost sons. Now, gang, before we look further at uh, the elder brother's response, I want to share with you an observation and then a confession. The observation uh, originates from Henry Nowen. The confession, however, is all mine. I want to uh, show you something, and, and I think uh, we'll, we'll find out in a minute. But if you can find Matthew chapter 20 real quick, and you need to keep your hand, your finger on Luke 15, but if you can find Matthew chapter 20, I want to remind you of something that's over there. Uh, you may remember there's a parable in, um, in Matthew 20, and the parable is entitled The Workers in the Vineyard. Now, you remember that parable? Um, it's, it's a fairly familiar parable, and, and it goes something like this. A landowner goes out one day, and uh, he needs workmen for his fields. And so he goes out real early in the morning, and he gathers a group of people and says, Come on over to my uh, field and, and work some for me, and I'll pay you a, a, a denarius, a wage. And they say, Great, we'll be on our way. So they're on their way, and then he goes back three hours later, and he gets some more. And then he goes back three hours later, and he gets some more, and he makes them all the same deal. 
And then towards the end of the day, when there's only one hour left in the working day, he goes back over to the place where workers are gathered that are unemployed, and he gets a, the last group and takes them over to his field and says, get to work, and I'll pay you the same wage. Then the day ends. <laughs> and I think you know what happens. He lines them up to pay them. And um, do you remember how he paid them? He, uh, he has the fellows who've only worked an hour. They're in the front of the line. And the guys that have been working 12 hours, they're in the back of the line. And, and I've often wondered, why? Why did he do it like that? Because putting the, the guys who've only worked an hour in the front of the line and paying them the, the agreed-upon wage only creates some false expectations, as it turned out, to the guys in the back of the line. Oh, well, if he paid them a denarius and they only worked an hour, well, wait till he gets to us. Well, he'll probably double our wage or triple it because we, you know, we worked uh, ten times longer than those fellas. Why doesn't he simply put the guys who had worked the longest in the front of the line and then the guys who had worked the least in the back of the line and surprised the guys in the back of the line with his generosity? But instead, he does it just the opposite. And by his so doing, creates a situation where people get angry and perhaps jealous and bitter. Every time I read that parable, there is a sense of violation of fairness in it, isn't there? Now, ladies and gentlemen, if you ask similar questions to the ones I ask, you need to realize, as I have, that what we have done is that we have imposed a perspective, a perspective that is all too willing to demand the terms of the economy of this life or this earth or however you want to say it, we want to impose um, the rules of this economy on the rules of that economy. We want to say, this is how we operate, and we expect you to operate like that too. Got it? Now, ladies and gentlemen, if, if when you read this parable, there is in you a sense of violation of fairness, it's because there's so much in us that doesn't understand how God operates. And what it also does is expose a very significant elder brother streak that goes way deep into our souls.
You see, folks, one of the characteristics of being an elder brother is the tendency to compare everything. <laughs> um, we compare everything that's going on in our lives with what happens, maybe happening in somebody else's life, and then we get angry because the comparison doesn't quite meet up to the standards that we think need to be observed. And ladies and gentlemen, one of the reasons that I wanted to spend so much time on this elder brother is because it gives us an opportunity to gain an insight. An insight to the Father and how he operates. So much different than the way that we do. Other people are having a better life than I am. Um, but I'm a better person. I'm a better person than they are. And then the problems begin. I mean, um, what, what does a guy have to do to get a party thrown before him around here? Uh, do you have to go off and squander your inheritance in some kind of riotous living before they'll embrace you and, and, and kiss you and assure you that you belong? I mean, listen, listen to what the elder brother says to his father. Ladies and gentlemen, this is, this is anger. He says, these many years I've been serving you, and I never transgressed your commandment at any time. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might make merry with my friends. But as soon as this son of yours came, how do you think he said that? You think, and as soon as your son came? No. But as soon as this son of yours came, who has devoured your livelihood with harlots, he didn't know there were harlots. He guessed that. You killed the fatted calf for him. Oh, my goodness. God have mercy on the poor prodigal son or the poor elder brother. And God have mercy on all the rest of us who understand why he was so mad. One of the fundamental flaws, ladies and gentlemen, in the elder brother is that he doesn't approve of how the father deals with people like over in the parable in Matthew 20. I, I, I just don't like the way you did that, God. That is the same thing that in essence is coming out of the mouth of the elder brother. I don't like the way that you've got this arranged. The elder brother would rather see a more equitable distribution of the fatted calves. And at the core of all that, ladies and gentlemen, he views himself... He views himself as the standard after which others ought to pattern their behavior. Now, gang, let me go back. If when you read the parable found in Matthew 20, 
something goes off in you that says, it's not fair. And I want you to know that is, that is a particle of evidence that there's an elder brother streak in you. And one of the characteristics of the elder brother is that he doesn't like how God distributes things. And the reason that I don't like the way that God distributes things is because I'm the standard. And everybody ought to behave like I behave. And the kind of people that the Father ought to be blessing are people like me. God owes me. He owes me and he hasn't paid. Because what I really want is a fatted calf. I obeyed, but I haven't gotten what, what you're supposed to get when you obey. Let me tell you a little story. <laughs> this happened last Monday night, less than a week ago. Um, we have a college and career ministry that is headed up by this Jimmy Umloff that we adore. That is, anyway, um, but uh, the college and career ministry doesn't meet here on campus. It doesn't meet at Gracie Band. It meets basically at the corner of Park and Mendenhall. We found a place over there and we rent it and we wanted to be closer to the, the college campuses. And so we rent that place week after week. And so what is known as Club Savory, named after my friend Richard, um, uh, Club Savory, the college and career ministry, meets down there every Monday night. Well, you may not have heard this, but last Monday night, six days ago, somebody took a crowbar and broke into a series of cars that were parked on the periphery in a very well-lit parking area. And um, several of the cars that were broken into, of course, were at Club Savory. And uh, one of the cars that was broken into was a young woman who had come to Club Savory for the first time. Now, I don't know what went through her mind, but I know what went through mine. Wait a minute, God. The little girl was doing something good. And this is how you treat her? Because what we really came for is so that we could assure ourselves of getting the fatted calf. I just don't approve of the way that you distribute things. And when I don't approve of it, ladies and gentlemen, it makes me oh so angry. Angry that I because I, I'm thinking that I'm not getting a fair shake here. And that anger leads to all kinds of bad stuff, doesn't it? I'm angry and then um, I envy the fact that you didn't do to them what you did to me. And then the resentment 
lot of ugliness, ladies and gentlemen, because God simply doesn't measure up to the way we think things ought to be. Now, having told you all that, let me show you one other thing in the parable. Actually, <laughs> I'm going to show you something that's not there. Did you notice in the parable of the prodigal son that the father refuses to compare his two sons? He never says, your younger brother didn't act like that. Now, gang, um, that kind of love is, is, is very difficult for me to grasp. Maybe, maybe you too. In a world that constantly compares and classifies people, uh, ranking them as more or less intelligent or more and less attractive or more and less successful. That one's real easy to do. You can bottom line that baby. In, in a world that's constantly comparing and then ranking, it's hard to believe in a love that doesn't do the same kind of thing. The father loves his son and never uses the word because. I love him because. You know, gang, when, when I hear someone praised, because I'm so used to comparing, it's hard for me to not think of myself as less praiseworthy. Um, when, I, when I read about the goodness and the kindness of other people, I often find myself asking myself, Am I as good and as kind as they? And when I see trophies and rewards and prizes being handed out to, you know, special people, I, I, it's very difficult to avoid asking myself why that, why that didn't happen to me. You know, ladies and gentlemen, I've told you, I think, I think you've heard me say that I have, I want to write a book. I, uh, I've got three of them that I would love to get in print. And as I've told you in the past, I'm a paid reader. I sit in my office and I read books. You pay me to do that. And I read their books and I say, huh, that's not as good as mine. How do you get in print? That, ladies and gentlemen, is a vestige of the elder brother. One of the profound lessons of this parable is that God does not love the prodigal more than he loves the elder brother. But because he deals with them differently, Maybe it felt like he did. Oh, he does deal with them differently. And because he does, because we're so used to comparing, 
we conclude that perhaps he didn't love us as much, just like the older brother. When, when you take a look at the joy of the joy of the father at this dramatic return of his younger son, we are tempted to conclude that he loves him more. But ladies and gentlemen, in no way does that mean that he loves the elder brother any less. Or is the elder brother any less favored? Each child of God has his own unique place in the heart of God. But somehow, God's love for you blocks from sight his love for me. Especially if you're one of those who relies on behavior to produce a relationship. That is, if you're thinking that the way that God operates is that the, the, the squeaky clean people he really likes more. <laughs> and I'm squeakier than she is. I want you to know, ladies and gentlemen, you're in for some very rude awakenings. I, uh, I am being asked by this parable to let go of all those comparisons, all that rivalry, all that competition, and trust that the Father loves me. You know, ladies and gentlemen, joy and resentment don't coexist. I can't rejoice over what God did with someone else while I'm resenting it. You know, elder brothers, they don't want to eat with those prodigal sons either. Because they're cleaner. That, ladies and gentlemen, is the elder brother. Notice what he says. This son of yours. <laughs> and by so doing, he excludes himself from the family. This son of yours is no kin of mine and uh, nor am I kin to you if you're going to choose him over me like that. And this is where the, the, the loving heavenly father earns his reputation because he doesn't take a swing at his firstborn like some of us would have. He doesn't look at him and says, watch your mouth, young boy. You're supposed to honor me. He knows, that is, the father knows that he's lost both of his sons. He lost the young son to recklessness. But he has lost the older brother to some far more serious fate. To a life of angry self-righteousness. A self-righteousness that takes him so far away from the father that he ought to be over in the faraway country slopping pigs. But he would never dream of that. He wants his father to love him as he deserves to be loved. Because he stayed put when his younger brother, you know, was out living with harlots. He obeyed all the commands. 
He did all the right things. And he wants his father to love him because of that. And ladies and gentlemen, I am here to tell you that the father does love him. But not because of any of that. Any more than he loves the, the younger brother for what he has done. He does not love either of his sons according to what they deserve. He, he just loves them more because of who he is than because of who they are. And the elder brother simply cannot understand that. He doesn't like it. He's trying to correct his father and the way the father behaves. He cannot understand the love that transcends right and wrong. He does not understand a love that throws homecoming parties for prodigal sinners and then expects the righteous to enjoy that. Because that's what he expects. And he can't stand the whole idea. And so he stands outside, outside his father's house, outside his father's love, refusing, refusing the father's invitation to come inside. Just like some of you who don't understand the father doesn't love because the father's love is due far more to who he is than because of who you are in fact it has nothing to do with who you are one other piece of application unfinished you know you see such anger and such resentment and such envy and jealousy and harshness on the part of the elder brother. And all of it is the result of his not understanding the ways of his father. And I've wondered this week, I, want, I wonder how much anger and bitterness and harshness and resentment and envy that exists among us. That is the product. Not of the circumstances in our life. It's simply the product of our failure to understand the Father. If we understood Him, rejoice. We might find that there's no envy and resentment and bitterness and all that business. All that hinge on properly understanding how this father loves. Our Father, forgive us that within us is a streak of elder brother and I pray, O oh God, that you will um, 
help us to see it for what it is, to turn away from it, and to find that, that we can indeed rejoice in all of your ways because we know that circumstances are not the things that prove that you love us or don't love us. I pray, O oh God, that we might find our, our safety in Christ to be the thing, the only thing that really matters to us. And Father, if you have led people here today who still think that the way to get into the Father's house is by some sort of good behavior, I pray that you will show them just how ugly that is and how impossible it is to earn the Father's love so that they can discover that this Heavenly Father distributes His love freely. Might we all learn how everlastingly beautiful that really is. We ask it, of course, in Jesus' name. Amen. Guys, to close, we simply extend an invitation to you for a couple of things. If you have questions about what it means to be related to God through faith in Christ, we don't ask people like you to come here. We don't think this is a good place to make that kind of transaction. While people are filing out, grab me and we'll hook you up with someone or I'll, I, if, I'll, I'll do my best to answer the questions that, that are so important to you. That's the first part of that invitation. The other part has to do with those of you who have been led here by the head of the church, Jesus Christ. If you've completed the new members class and think this is the place that he's led you, we'll ask you to come up here. We'd like to introduce you to some other members and other parts of this body. So why don't you stay with me as Jimmy leads us in our closing.